Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Je suis Thomas Frano. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So thank you to Thomas Frano, who introduced the Tennis Podcast, one of our Kickstarter backers who've helped keep the show going all year long, or certainly into March. Let's see how we go in the rest of the eight months, shall we, before I get too carried away. Uh, but we've got another edition of the Tennis Podcast here for you right now, following Indian Wells, following two magnificent finals, myself, David Law, alongside, or not alongside, but on the same show as Catherine Whitaker, who's how many miles away is Indian Wells? Digitally alongside, David. Um, I think it's about 6,000. But by, by, the, by the miracle of technology, it is zero. Isn't that amazing? Imagine if 30 years ago when you were, well, barely born, uh, somebody had said we would be able to do this. Amazing. Uh, anyway, uh, so I digress. The uh, the tennis world has had its eyes on those two incredible finals in Indian Wells. You've been presenting the men's event for Prime Video, Catherine. Let's start, though, with the women's event, because although the men's final was, was a corker, I think the women's final was arguably even better. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, not much in it, I don't think. Um, they were both sensational. Um, Bianca Andreescu, 6-4 in the third, receiving treatment on her right shoulder throughout the third set. She was cramping in her semi-final against Alina Svitolina. She is, oh, I mean, <laughs> can we just sort of replay the podcast we did a year ago about Naomi Osaka and just edit in the words Bianca Andreescu? Um but possibly really? even more so. That, that sort of level. Possibly with even more superlatives because she's just got this extraordinary variety in her game. Um, and yeah, she she blew me away. I, you quoted me on Twitter as every match I saw her play, you, f you flagged up to me, uh, you flagged her up to me after her first or second match it was when she absolutely obliterated Stephanie Vergler, who had herself obliterated Sloane Stephens um, the round before. So I started watching her progress eagerly um, and I was kept having these, well, I don't understand, what, uh, how has she ever lost a tennis match moments? <laughs> Why is she, what is she, what was she, 128 in the world? 152, sorry, she's now up to 24, 152 she was. And I know she's only 18 and these are early days, but I don't know how she has not been, um, you know, 
more on our radar. I know the Auckland final, she's not out of nowhere, but equally she's she's even more out of nowhere, significantly more out of nowhere than Osaka was when she won this title last year. Usually they have one big win, don't they, or one big run, and then they disappear for a bit and they may never come back you know we've we've seen players that have had one special week and then got found out or just played way above themselves or at the very least you, you, well, you she's coming back David. yeah but what i'm saying is after the auckland final it wouldn't have been surprising if we didn't really hear her name until about cincinnati or something um and as you said 152 in the world at the start of the year in a couple of months she's got to 24 in the world and she had to win seven matches to reach that final in Auckland to to get through qualifying she's had to win seven matches in order to win this title because she didn't get a bye through the first round in uh, in Indian Wells and and when you look at the players she's beaten over the course of those two tournaments Venus Williams Caroline Wozniacki this week Irina Camelia Bego in the first round Dominika Sibokova in the second round Wang Chang uh, Garbin Yamagarutha who she beat 6-love 6-1 Elena Svitolina and Angelique Kerber she's basically beaten okay maybe Serena Williams and Osaka aside she's beaten the best that the WTA circuit has to offer at the age of 18 and she's done it in a manner that is different to the the vast majority, if not all, of the players that are out there because there are bits of her, of, of all those sort of players in her, but there's nobody who's quite got that package that she's got. Now, that's not to say that she will sweep all before her and, and be better than Osaka and better than all the others. It all has to come together, especially with a game as varied as hers. So much has to... It all has to be right, but... Goodness me, in terms of just options, she's got a limitless repertoire and limitless potential. Yeah, she's like a sort of tennis um, Frankenstein, but in a good way, isn't she? It's it's like someone has constructed borrowed bits, limbs (laughs) and aspects of, of all the best people and put them together in one Bianca Andreescu, complete with scrunchie on arm. Uh, which everyone seems to be going nuts about. I mean, I I think I walked around for the first twenty twenty well probably more years of my life with a scrunchie on my arm. Um, Why? Or at least a hair tie. You've got you can't be without a hair tie. Um, but she didn't play around the, your arm. She didn't play the final with a scrunchie on her arm, did she? Why Why do you have one around your arm? Well, I mean, at least around your wrist because it's just a very accessible, practical place to to have it. Is it? What if you have a hair disaster, David? Anyway, <clears throat> yeah, she's like a she's yeah she's an amalgam of all the best things <laughs> in in tennis. It's unbelievable, and it it just feels like this sort of exciting tennis youth arms race. You know, Naomi Osaka. Well, you know, well, you could go back a while, couldn't you? Sloane Stevens comes along, Naomi Osaka comes along, and they and Bianca Andreescu comes along. Um, and they just keep getting younger and better, and it feels like the the women's tennis globe world is turning very, very quickly at the moment. Sort of the advancements are huge. I don't know. Does it feel like that to you? I th- I certainly feel this this is a wave of players, uh, and they feel like they're coming along more dramatically than they are on the men's side. But then you don't have that 
group of three in their way in the same way that you do on the men's side. But the manner in which she's done it, to do it in two to three months, and the manner, obviously, in the way that Osaka has won the last two Grand Slams, and then you've got Arena Sabalenka, and we had that one standout win for Amanda Anisimova at the Australian Open where she beat Sabalenka. But this woman has backed it up now, and she's done it over multiple, multiple matches. That's what really gets you, and she's done it against all these different types of opponents. It's like it's like somebody has given uh, Daria Kasatkina big power and yes. said, "Go on, have a go, have a go with, have a go with this rocket launcher. You know, see what you can do with that as a Love forehand and as a serve." And and uh, she also has just this love of the battle love of the moment clearly a thirst for competition in the game and the and the the excitement of it all and and there was that wonderful moment where she asked for she was clearly flagging and 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 grad matt actually tweeted you know she's tired and the last thing you want to be doing when you're tired is playing angelique kerber and i thought well absolutely right but along came her coach and and i don't want to give all the the the, the, the credit to her coach, who obviously did a good job in the moment. But the main thing that I think he did was keep quiet and let her talk. Sylvain Bruneau, this was. And she said to him, and you heard this quite clearly, she said midway through the third set, when I think she was a breakdown, 3-2 and a breakdown, she said, I want this so bad. And and I thought, what a, what a lovely thing to say. Not I'm scared or I'm, I, I, I'm not going to win or something like that. I just made it very clear what it meant to her and he he then just tried to get her to channel that and she went and won the next three games and and ended up winning the title and she did so whilst losing out on match points because on the first of i think she had four match points and on the first of them she hit a forehand cross court the likes of which had been going for a winner all week long kerber being the incredible defensive player that she is was able to get to it lob it onto the baseline win the point and extend it for another game and a half and the fact that Andreescu still ended up winning from there I think is is a huge achievement um, mentally as well as all the rest of the things in a game and she got plaudits all over the world her the prime minister of Canada Justin Trudeau was uh was in touch to to give his congratulations all the best players in the world were were sending their congratulations as well i mean it was just it just felt like a big moment i mean it i i I think you're right i think it was a little reminiscent of osaka winning the title last year in that way but it's just that we hadn't with her we'd had some warning signs of her talent for a longer period i think you'd you'd flagged up osaka a good year and a half earlier than that yeah as i say even more out of the blue and and i and i should also point out, I don't know if you agree, but Angelique Kerber, the her performance in the semi-finals um, against Belinda Bencic, another fantastic match. I mean, the 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 women's tournament from there were so few disappointing big matches. You know, um, th- that was as good as I've ever seen Angelique Kerber play. I really mean that. I know she's won three wow. Grand Slams, but that performance against Bencic took my breath away. She was unreal um because Bencic you know needed some beating what a run she's on she as far as I'm concerned she's she's still on that run because it took the absolute very best of a three-time Grand Slam champion to beat her 
in Indian Wells. So for, for Andreescu to beat, beat Kerber in that form, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Mm. And also, you know, the, the different types of players that she beat. You know, she blew Muguruza off the court, but then she had to beat Elena Svitolina, a completely different type of player. Could not be more different. Um, and she she figured it out. You know, she figured it out in the way that we've seen Osaka do. Um, and, yeah, it it goodness me, she... <laughs> She is quite something. She really is. And she she has this incredible um, balance about her physique. Obviously, she looks incredibly strong for an 18-year-old, but she looks balanced. Do you know what I mean? I guess the strength in her legs um, really helps with that. But, yeah, it's, 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 she's, she's got everything, David. She really does. She was asked uh, in an interview by Courtney Nguyen on, on the WTA Insider, um, which tried to get to the bottom of how she ended up being the sort of player that she is, because it's usually you can kind of see the the origins of a player. The way they play, you can think, oh, that player has trained in Barcelona, or that player has come from the Bolletieri Academy, or, or something like that, and she she hasn't gone that sort of route. She was she was born in Canada. She then moved to Romania, which is where her parents are originally from, or at least her ancestry is. And and she went over there, picked up the racket for the first time over there. Then came back to Canada and, and has had a, her her developmental years in Canada. But she said that she was she would get bored hitting the same shot over and over again when she was a kid. So as a result of that, she changes the rhythm or she has traditionally changed the rhythm of rallies just to keep herself interested. And uh, I, I find that fascinating. And, and to hear her talk about her approach to the sport and the weapons that she likes to use, it's not just, oh, I've got a big forehand, I've got to bring that into play, or I've got to serve well. She's talking about a toolbox. You know, She's actually referring to it in, in those words, and, and that her goal is to keep her opponents guessing and off balance. And I was just thinking of all the players that – that would have been music to the ears of like Andy Murray and John McEnroe. You can just imagine them high-fiving people in the room that don't know what what on earth's the big deal, you know, because that's their kind of tennis. And it's just really uplifting, I, I find, that you have her and you have Osaka and you have Bencic that are I don't know they've all got something. They've, and they're all 22 and under. Uh, it's hard to believe that with Bencic sometimes, but it is so uplifting to think that that is the future and, and and we've got that to look forward to. And really uplifting to hear Andrescu talk about um, meditation and how how yes. uh, how prominent that is in her in her approach to the sport and um, a few years ago I was I was really not dismissive of meditation um, but pretty certain that it wasn't for me you know far too far too wafty for me but actually the I've found that I'm not alone here and I know it's a it's a very um very now um thing to say but there is a lot in mindfulness and it's not just for wafty yogary type people um I do yoga as well I'm not slagging off yoga but um yeah, to hear an 18-year-old talk about um, meditation being a significant 
tool in her arsenal um, and helping with her mental poise and talking about creative visualisation. Um, I don't know about you, David, but that's not that's not what my mind was doing when I was eighteen. <laughs> um, no, no. I yeah, was, she's amazing. I was trying to get I was trying to get into the cinema to watch eighteen films when I was eighteen, <laughs> failing. Yeah, but hey, maybe more maybe more will try it. You know, I, 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 I mean, I suppose Djokovic has talked quite a lot about. I don't think I've ever heard him specific. Um, well, maybe he has, but. Djokovic has talked about, um, he talks more about sort of spirituality, doesn't he, rather than specific sort of mental mental agility and uh, and mindfulness. But maybe more of them all but you, give it a go. Well, you do, look, you do see him go off into a, somewhere that he feels at peace with the world, don't you? And I mean, look, sometimes the, the pictures he f- takes and posts... You know that the, some of the locker room might be going, look at this, look look what he's posted here. Well, hold on, he's the world number one, you know, and whatever anybody thinks of it, it works for him. And with Andreescu, I, I, I think it's incredible to hear an 18-year-old talking about meditation. I really do. I I, I, I take my hat off to her for that and, and for the, having the open mind for it and not being too cool for it. And, and uh, in her words... I really want it, you know, and she really does. So it's going to be fascinating to see how she packages her schedule for the rest of the year. We've talked about Sitsabas, that danger of just overloading yourself because of the excitement of it all. And look, we're all almost competing with our superlatives for this woman because she is such an exciting young player. And she's going to have to be selective over what she listens to and what she doesn't because it can go wrong can't it and uh, and she's I, I hope that she can just be looked after in the right way i don't want her to be have the screens go up because she's a lovely open interviewee i wanted to talk and be herself and all the rest of it but it's it's difficult not to get carried away yeah you can imagine the the sponsors swarming can't you you can imagine the scenes mm, yeah you can, you can. But anyway, it, it was it was a wonderful tournament on the women's side and, and, a, and a fantastic result, end result. I mean, even when we were getting excited about Andrescu a week ago, couldn't have ever imagined that she would end up actually winning the tournament because that is such a, a, a succession of strides to take. Just one, one note as well on Martina Navratilova, who was on the BT Sport team um, talking about that, that final. And she was, she wasn't, I don't want to say she was critical of Kerber, but she did say that whenever it's tight like that, she feels in a big final, or her, her first instinct is batten down the hatches, defence, don't let anything pass, which which is a weapon in itself, isn't it? And it makes players miss. But she didn't take that match away from Andreescu. She was, she was kind of waiting for Andreescu to blow up. I dare say there's something in that, and I'm not going to be disagreeing with them. Martina Navratilova, but she has won Grand Slam titles from Grand Slam finals from those sorts of situations. So you can understand why she thinks, well, this is what this is what works for me. This is what I do. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, well, she's absolutely right. Andreescu was the one to to grab it by the scruff of the neck, uh, rather than Angelique Kerber. That's just not Martina's tennis, is it? Martina doesn't. Martina naturally gravitates towards the attacking player because that's what she was, I would imagine. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Right then. Uh, So in the men's draw, a match you were taking a lot of notice of was Dominic Team's victory over Roger Federer in the final, which... I mean, seemed unlikely, didn't it, when Federer won the first set in 18 minutes. Um, 6-3, and he was just taking it early and, and all over him. I mean, it was it was incredible, really, the, the way team managed to, to reel him back in. What what was your, your reading on it as you were watching in the studio? Well, there was a... Because the, the women's final was so good and so so long, there was a, a long delay um, on the scheduled start time for the, for the men's final, and we were watching these... Uh, warm-up shots come in of of well of both of them, but I was paying particular attention to to Dominic Team, and then we saw them get on the the buggy and go to court, and and all I could think was just how tense and nervous Dominic Team looked. Actually, his <clears throat> his fitness trainer was doing this uh, weird sort of exercise where he was he had one hand on either side of his chest and was sort of. Um, it looked like sort of literally trying to loosen up his chest. Daniela Hantukova in our in our studio thought that you know that was a sign that he was really feeling the tension, and his fitness trainer was trying to sort of physically press the tension out of him. Um, and so it proved, you know, in those first three games, it 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 looked like oh goodness me, you know, he's just 
he's just crumbling here. You know, you could almost see that his arm weighed twice as much as it usually did, and he his movement didn't seem as nimble as usual, and and it it looked like it could have been a a disastrous day for for Dominic Team. So for me, that makes it all the more incredible that he he pulled it back and he he didn't panic. Um, you know, and and he said after the match that he felt in the zone the whole match, which I found really amazing. He obviously really didn't read too much into the fact that he was three love down, maybe even because of how nervous he was, sort of almost expected to make a, a slow start. Um, and obviously just managed to reset in his mind after that first set and say, you know, OK, the match starts here. Um, and by total contrast to Angelique Kerber, when Dominic teams in a tight spot, he just hits the ball harder, harder and harder and harder. And it's, it, it takes your breath away sometimes. Um, and yeah, he was bludgeoning the ball, David, in that, um, deciding set. And I, and I think we were all sitting there waiting for him to, to not choke, but to certainly start feeling it, um, you know, because there were signs of that against Raonic in the previous round in the semi-final. Um, he he had a real wobble when he was in the lead in that deciding set. Uh, and it was only because Raonic was wobbling too that he was kind of let off the hook. But I don't know, he found something else in that final and in that deciding set. And for me, this is an enormous statement from Dominic Team. He, he does get to a point, I think, in a match in these big matches against the best players in the world where he just thinks, forget this, I'm I'm going to just have to go for it. Um, and as you say, he gets into a, let's see who can hit the ball hardest competition. And, and I think he can probably hit the ball just about as hard as anybody. And it was interesting watching Federer, because team hits incredibly hard with both forehand and backhand, Federer was just trying to weather it by using his movement, staying up on the baseline and just deflect the ball back. And the timing of Federer was, I mean, it was a joy to watch in itself, watching him try to find ways to get into the net um, whilst under attack from this barrage of hitting. But you are always waiting, I think, for team to miss because it feels so low percentage. How is he, how is he going to keep making these shots when he's launching these exosets low over the net some of the time, flat, it doesn't seem doable. But then you think back to Stan Wawrinka doing exactly that for two and a half hours against Novak Djokovic to win the French Open. And that's what team brings to the table. He did it against Nadal at the US Open, didn't he? And he so nearly beat him in five sets when he had that, that purple patch of big hitting. And and here again, that's what happened. And it does seem like increasingly with Federer, he, Federer tries to race out into victory and get and get the win almost before the guy has settled down at all. If they get their foothold now and they're playing really well, the sheer pace of shot can can take Federer down. We've seen it now with John Millman. We've seen it with Stefano Tsitsipas. We saw it again here. Although I actually thought Federer played pretty well. Um, I, I thought he was he was close. Yeah, Federer played great, I thought. Um, and I think that's why, in his own words, he he wasn't too disappointed after the match. Um, I really think there was a sort of resignation about him of, well, you know, I really played well against most guys. That would have been enough today. Um, but, you know, Dominic Team just, just 
brought it, just absolutely brought it and, and seized it from uh, seized it from his grasp. I'm, I'm sure if he hadn't already got number 100 in Dubai, that disappointment would likely have had slightly more edge to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Dominic Team has now beaten Roger Federer on a hard court, on a clay court and on a grass court. That's quite something, wow. isn't it? Yeah, that is. Yeah, leads the head-to-head three-two and has beaten him on hard and grass. I find that amazing. Yeah, and he and his first Masters one thousand isn't on clay. I mean, it's 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 mightily impressive. Um, and he also those two points. Wasn't he? Wasn't he love thirty down? Um, when Federer hit those two drop shots, I can't exactly remember what the score was late on. He hit successive drop shots, Federer, and team. And there weren't bad drop shots, I didn't think. But he found ways to get to the ball and divert them past Federer with just lovely hands. I mean, he really does have the most immaculate timing when when he's playing well, Dominic team. He's a joy to watch when he's on. Um, Has there ever been a greater contrast, David, between somebody's personality and their playing style than in Dominic team? He is this yes. completely gentle, unassuming character off the court and has not changed one bit since he you know came to prominence uh, in tennis and yet he's got this absolutely ferocious beast of a, a playing style it's an incredible contrast and there's an extravagance to to his st- stroke production as well and he's anything but extravagant exactly that as greg would yeah. say Oh, yeah, yeah, an extravagant. Yeah. There is just absolutely there is. He's he's such a nice guy, uh, and I think he gets too hard a rap for being boring or whatever. Dominic team. He's not. He's just. He's just no frills. He's he's just a regular bloke that likes playing football and likes dogs. Obviously, I've got a soft box. He's got a lovely chocolate Labrador. Um, or is it a black? No, he's got a Labrador anyway. Um, but. But yeah, then he steps onto court, and it's it's frills. Every, it's nothing but frills. Yeah, new new coach Nicholas Massou, the uh, Olympic gold medalist of two thousand and four, um, which is an, an interesting development. I mean, that is recent. The Olympics that Federer should have won, really. Well, that's how, certainly how Federer yeah. will see it. it. It is interesting, though, isn't it? That he's he's gone this direction, and Massou is in the audience there, and. Um, Look, maybe that's the fine tune that he needs. Uh, I remember Masu as a player, um, different kind of player, but he needs a few little tweaks to his team because he's not getting the best out of his game, or he hasn't, in my opinion. And I do think there is a danger of him not fulfilling his potential without changes. And and that's even off the back of this. He This guy should be winning Grand Slams. Yes, agreed. And my goodness me, what an advert for Nicholas Masseau's coaching skills. He's only yeah. been with him three weeks. Um, yeah. And yeah, Masseau, Masseau was a, a clay quarter that got his best results on hard, unexpectedly. You know, he, he'll always yes. be remembered for that. For the Olympics, didn't he win doubles gold as well that year? He did with Fernando Gonzalez, you're right. Double, and doubles double gold, gold. medalist at, at the Olympics in Athens on hard courts. Um, and he was considered yeah. a, a clay quarter. So, yeah, an extraordinary advert for his coaching skills. I think in, in the particular case of Dominic Team, where he's been with Gunter Bresnik since he was a kid um, and... And there's absolutely no question of him wanting to to um, jettison Gunter Bresnik's um, coaching 
position at all but a new voice when you've had the same voice for that long I can imagine a new voice is very very powerful and you know it's not even necessarily something that Daniela was saying a lot in the studio this week it's not necessarily always about what they're saying they could be saying the same thing that other people have told you it's about the way they say it and making you listen and understand um, and that is obviously working with Dominic team because they, they seem to me, um, and I'm borrowing a bit from an uh, analysis of, of those around me this fortnight that, that have a better technical understanding of the game than I do. It seems to me he's developed more, m- more astuteness tactically on a hard court. Um, he was really varying his position on the return yes sometimes he was standing 18 meters behind the baseline um, but then he was also standing in quite a lot and really varying it sort of according to to what was working and and what the the scoreline was and and he seems to be yeah learning how to use and adapt his game particularly on this surface and look Indian Wells is a is a particularly well-suited place to do that because he says the really it plays like a clay court. The only thing that's that's particularly different about it is that he can't slide. But in terms of the speed of the the ball off the court and, and the bounciness of it, the bounciness of the court, it's very much like a clay court. So if he was going to make a hard court breakthrough anywhere, this um, this was going to be the place. But I do think the. Um, the, the, that match against Nadal at the US Open paved the way for this. I know he lost it, but it was such an enormous breakthrough for him on this surface. Um, I really think that without what happened that day, we might not have seen what happened against Federer in the final. And he'd had a rough old time at team this year. He'd had illness, he hadn't been able to compete, and then he had 11 days in Indian Wells to prepare, and look what it did for him. Now, Nadal, Catherine, we're a bit worried about him, aren't we? 39th meeting with Roger Federer was about to happen, and then it didn't because of the knee problems that, that Nadal had sustained in the previous round against Karen Hatchinov. And he spoke quite at some length about the toll of hard courts um, in conversation with Chris Clary in the press conference afterwards. And talked about I mean it's not the first time that the sheer number of matches that players play on a hard court um, and the the toll that it takes on the body the, the the jarring of the joints and and he was at pains to point out that look this isn't just about me my you know but if if they change things it won't affect my career now I, I'm too old but it was it was almost a little melancholy hearing him talk about you know I, I see some of the old legends walking around on the circuit these days and it's not nice to see you know that they they're struggling to get up and down stairs and things like that and and you know that he was looking at himself in years to come um i don't know whether how i feel about the issue of hard courts because it's always been like this um and i also do take the point that hold on roger federer's 37 you're 32 rafa um Everybody at the top at the moment is is well into their 30s. That didn't used to happen years ago when there were fewer hardcore tournaments. So is it that bad? Uh, and should we not expect players to, to be to be struggling when they, you know, on these surfaces when they get older? I don't know. What, what do you think? Um, I mean, it hasn't always been like that. There used to be an awful lot more, you know, way back in the day before both of our times, there used to be an awful lot more tennis played on, on grass, didn't there? So, I mean... When 
we're never going to go back to that and, and nor should we. I don't think anyone's advocating for that necessarily, although I think a little bit more grass would be very welcome. Um, I think that the goalposts have definitely moved in the last five to ten years, largely because of Roger Federer. Um, you know, Jim Courier was retired at 28, wasn't he? Um, and yes, that was a bit young at the time, but it wasn't shock horror. Um, so the yeah, the goalposts have definitely changed, but you would expect them to change with the advancements in in training and physiotherapy and and all of the bells and whistles that come with being a a rich, successful athlete now, gluten free diets and and the like of it. So uh, it's a very knotty knotty issue um i don't know enough about sort of the composition of hard courts to know whether there's a he's nadal seemed to be suggesting that there was a way of sort of keeping hard courts but making them less hard which obviously sounds ridiculous now i'm saying it out loud but something a bit sort of springier or or, or softer mm. Yeah, I mean they're very grippy, aren't they? Yes, gritty. That's, that's that's, that's what, the word. What happens? Um, yeah, it's it's one of those that I don't think we're going to get a, an answer to in the short term at all. But but I yeah, I, I sort of felt Nadal's mortality. Oh, it was look, it was a, uh, it was really quite poignant and uh, depressing. That pre- you know he doesn't he doesn't hold his emotions back. Does you can see it? It's writ large on his face. And he was down. He was really, really down. He was down after the the win over Hatchnov, which was an absolute triumph of mind over matter. Um, and then the next day, when he came to press, having just withdrawn from the the semi final with Federer, he was, yeah, he was depressed about the whole situation. He 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 even talked about feeling um, unlucky relative to his his rivals. I think that. That yes, he did. Yeah, that he keeps being frustrated by this issue, and that his body isn't built for the surface on which the majority of tennis is played. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a tough and poignant watch. Um, and he's now he's missing Miami, and we'll next see him in Monte Carlo. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we, we only briefly saw uh, Novak Djokovic after our last recording because we were all waiting for Kyrgios against uh, Djokovic and laughing about the fact that Kyrgios had gone and lost in the first <laughs> round to Philip Kohlschreiber, who was amazing, and then went and backed it up and beat beat Djokovic. And uh, I think Djokovic, uh, as brilliant as Kohlschreiber was, I think Djokovic was probably a little bit underdone out there. Um, after six weeks without playing and and he ended up playing doubles pretty much all the way through the tournament and I I certainly don't have any fears for the form of Djokovic in in the short medium or long term based on that one defeat no nor do I I mean I do think there's quite a lot of pressure on him in in Miami now to to not to not lose early not necessarily to definitely go out and win the thing although he is I think my favorite to to do that um, but yeah, forty-two days is—it's—it's it's a little bit too long, you know. To, to certainly too long to to be able to sort of come back and click right into gear. So yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those really irritable, flat Djokovic performances that, for for a short period, 
um, a year, 18 months ago, we'd we'd got quite used to seeing, hadn't we? And then suddenly we were, they were erased from our mind and it was machine like Djokovic again. So I think this was a, a, a brief reversion to, to what we were seeing 18 months or so ago. Um, but n- no cause for concern at all. As I say, he's he's my favourite to to go on and win in Miami, where Marion Vider will be back in the team. I don't understand this, the decision not to have Marion Vider with him in Indian Wells. His brother, his younger brother Marco, was with him here. Um, but you know, all of his major successes have come when Marion Vider is there. You know, I, I'm not sure there's ever been such a strong correlation between success and coach presence no. than with those two no, it's, it's, so it's right up there maybe Marion Vida felt he needed to to be at home who, who knows um but yeah an interesting one um and, and also interesting is that uh Djokovic has drawn the winner of Bernard Tomic and Thomas Burdick in the first round in the first in this in his first match that he gets a bye through the first round so uh launched straight into battle put it that way um one of the conversations that also took place around nadal catherine was the fact that we got a pretty late on decision from nadal that he wasn't going to be able to play it meant that people didn't get uh, a second match after team had played against raonic we'd also had a similar situation a, a couple of days earlier with gail monfils who'd been playing absolutely magnificently being unable to play in his match and in fact i think they they lost an entire session didn't they as a result of that um and again chris clary of the new york times just wondering whether maybe it's time to bring in some sort of rule almost like a lucky loser rule for the later rounds whereby if a player having won is unable to to take his place in the next round that the guy he beat goes through so the crowd still has a match i mean it is really unsatisfactory to to have a a huge crowd waiting to see a a big semi-final and a a, a massive tv audience uh, and, and radio audience unable to have anything to to watch or listen to because if you consider that abc in america which is it's terrestrial television had the rights to to what to those semi-finals and they had no match uh no second match and uh, that is a massive blow for the sports as, as much as anything else what what's your view yeah m- my view is exactly as you've described the it's so catastrophic a um a withdrawal and a cancellation of a match particularly at that stage of a a tournament that it needs to be looked into it it deserves some some looking at uh and i don't see any fundamental reason why the main draw should should be any different to qualifying everyone accepts the lucky loser um rule and situation in qualifying and yes there have been some some very welcome adjustments to it recently to prevent uh, retirements, first round retirements to prevent injured players taking to the court and I think those have worked really well um, I don't see any reason why we couldn't have the same situation yes it would require some some quite finessed 
um, rules in terms of points and prize money because you wouldn't want to deny the withdrawing player the the points that they've they've earned the points and prize money they've earned for winning the previous match so maybe you know in this situation Hatchinov would only pick up extra points and prize money if he then went on to win the semi-final and reach the final if he if if that makes sense um so essentially they're coming in um and just playing that match they don't get get anything extra but they're obviously playing for the chance to to go on and get more and potentially win the tournament. For me, I'm sure there are downsides that aren't quite occurring to me, but I don't know. There's a couple coming on, on, on social media here from AJG says, if you're not capable of beating an injured opponent, you shouldn't be given a second chance to win the tournament. Uh, oh, Rosie Not on. The Dog says... Uh, Rosie Not The Dog says, think the planned emergency exhibition match is the right thing to do. That's what they had with Djokovic and Sampras uh, taking to the court with John McEnroe and Tommy Haas. That seemed to go down pretty well. So well done those four, by the way, uh, for stepping up. Uh, Vicky Spreadbury says, this is really complicated. Yes, if you had to cancel a final for injury, that's awful. But if you were the other losing semi-finalist and your fellow loser was then advanced to the final one, you'd be pretty annoyed. And how would the points work? And how would the prize money work? And there's also some people that, that have pointed out that the, there might be an integrity issue here um, with the the potential for fixing. Yes, and I do. Yes, I accept that that is potential very big spanner in the works. That and I and I I wouldn't want to introduce a rule that could potentially um, sacrifice any integrity of the sport. So. Yeah, I accept that. I don't have all the answers, but I think I think it, it's a big enough deal. It's a big enough deal that we need to look at it and not just say, oh, that'll never happen. Well, I definitely agree with you. No, I, I definitely agree with you about that. Um, other talking points over the last week. There has been a Justin Gimmelstob update. He has been into court again uh, and Josh Boswell of The Telegraph was there reporting for The Telegraph um, and it's going to trial by the sounds of things. A preliminary hearing is scheduled for April the 8th and Gimmelstab will be confronted with statements from witnesses of the alleged attack as well as a video that the alleged victim's wife filmed of the assault. And uh, the, the gentleman, Randall Kaplan, who is accusing Gimmelstab of of this attack says that I'm extremely pleased at the result today. I've always wanted a trial and I look forward to some of the more than 20 witnesses to the attack testifying. Um, so pretty significant uh, moment, certainly in terms of that case and, and who knows what it'll end up leading to, but we'll, we'll, we'll let you know once, uh, once we start to hear some of the details, further details coming out. But to remind you, Justin Gummelstov was one of the three members of the ATP player board who have voted that Chris Commode is no longer to continue at, and after the end of this year in the role of uh, president and, and chairman of the ATP. Uh, and, we were saying a week ago that wouldn't it be nice to at least hear from the players as to why they've made this decision or hit and we'd had no statement. We've heard nothing from the ATP player board. Well, since then, the ATP player board, um, Justin Gimmelstab, uh, Alex Inglot and David Egders have released a statement uh, which, uh, which has been widely circulated on, on social media. Frankly, it doesn't really say an awful lot as to why the decision was taken. What it mainly does is 
is complain about the coverage that has been given to this situation it it sounds it sounds exasperated that that we've all taken such an interest in in what in their words is just an internal governance issue um it, it talks about all the hours that the, the player council members have put into it and how they've done it of their own free, free will um and so yeah it's it's I don't really understand why they've put out the, the, the statement because it, it doesn't say an awful lot, in in my opinion. Um, it does reference that Chris Commode had a, a strong five years, but then it it's it's decided not to renew his contract and it doesn't really offer any reasons as, as to why. So anyway, we don't know an awful lot more. Uh, I dare say over the next couple of weeks in Miami where there will be more press conferences uh, and more interviews conducted, I dare say more uh, answers maybe will be forthcoming but uh yeah so that's the atp player board politics now one other news story that has come to all of our attentions over the last week a, a really sad one is the news that paul hutchins the former great britain davis cup captain who led britain to the 1980 1978 davis cup final uh, has died of motor neurone disease and it's something that he'd been suffering with for a few months he he is somebody that I've known for for more than 20 years, had the pleasure of knowing, and he was incredibly helpful to me in my early years when I I didn't know anybody in tennis at all and I was writing letters off blindly to anybody who would be good enough to read them. He was one of the ones that did and wrote back, offered me some advice about how to get into the sport, and uh, whenever I've had any dealings with him at all, he's been an absolute gentleman haven't heard a bad word said about this man in all the years that I've known him. And uh, some of the tributes that have come in for him from Billie Jean King here, Paul Hutchins was a great champion on and off the court. Um, Alison Risk, a, a current tour player on the women's circuit, said, so terribly sad. Paul was part of my British family, always inviting me for a hit with him at Wimbledon. He quietly cheered for me everywhere I was and was always generous with his time and support. Leon Smith, the current Great Britain Davis captain, said the passing of Paul Hutchins is very saddening. He was a friend, colleague and mentor to many of us, a role model in every possible way. He had the strongest family values, treated friends with warmth and loyalty and was the greatest Davis captain we have ever had. I mean... those are just a few uh, of, of of countless tributes that have been paid to Paul Hutchins, including many from our media colleagues who, again, just had a fantastic relationship with him because he was he was happy to talk to us. He was happy to let us in on things. He he once or twice asked people in the media not to report things that they might have seen or heard because he, he you know he, he was asking a favour and that rare thing happened where they actually would agree to it because of the type of fella that he was. I know you, Catherine, you didn't know him, but you were there at the at the Lawn Tennis Writers Lunch that we had in December uh, when Paul was there and he gave a, a speech upon receiving a, a Services to British Tennis Award. And it was a, an incredible moment, wasn't it? The speech he gave and the reaction that he received to that speech. Yeah, it was... It, it Talk about a moment to unite a room um it was it was extraordinarily poignant even more so now in light of his his death um his son ross was there holding the microphone for him and and um helping him um with the practicalities of of giving the speech but it was also enormously uplifting incredibly uplifting actually um what he had to say it was 
you know, the room was trying to pay tribute to him and he was trying to pay tribute to the sport, um, which was incredibly powerful and there wasn't anything trite at all about what he had to say. Um, and I'm so... He was on he was on our podcast in 2015, wasn't he, David? But that was an interview you did with him. I had never really met him and I feel... I feel really, really um, grateful that I was at that lunch and I got to see him speak and uh, he undoubtedly will be hugely missed. Yeah, no, he certainly will. Uh, and as you say, if you'd like to listen to that podcast that we did back with Paul Hutchins back in 2015, it was, I think, in May of, of 2015. Um, and he talked all about the journey that he, he helped Britain along the road with to to that Davis Cup final in 1978 some wonderful memories of an early John McEnroe and and just just fantastic memories I, I had to listen to it over the weekend just to remind myself and uh and uh, yeah really thrilled that he 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 was on this show at, at one point and we we will always have that but yes he'll be very very sorely missed so, Catherine, Miami starts next week. Your journey back from Indian Wells starts in a few hours. In one hour. One hour. In one hour. Yes. It's a long journey because I have to get a car from here to, to Los Angeles. And due to LA traffic, um, what should be a sort of hour and a half journey as the crow flies, you have to allow four. So, um, yes, right. a day full of first world problems for me. <laughs> excellent but it's been good isn't it it's been great it's been absolutely great yeah i'm sold on indian wells it's great okay and um i'm looking forward to going home awesome right well welcome back Catherine. get yourself back here and we'll get ourselves to the putney exchange or to the Ooh. pub and we'll record our next podcast in a week's time uh we'll see if we can get grad matt roberts back with us as well uh get the old gang back together in person and uh bring you another edition of the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph, executive produced by TennisBalls.com with our mascot, Rio with a Y. Don't forget to tell your mates about the Tennis Podcast. Everybody you know, all your Twitter followers, all your Facebook followers and whatnot, uh, so that we can grow our audience. And we'll be back with another show next week. See you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. Mm. 